But way back in the early 90s, one of the top TV shows on TV was Home Improvement, starring Tim Allen. It was, uh, for those of you who maybe don't remember, don't know, it was uh, Tim Allen played a guy named Tim the Toolman Taylor. He had his own home improvement show. Uh, he was married to his wife, Jill. They had three sons, Brad, Mark, and Randy. Uh, and interestingly, those, uh, at least interesting to me, those three boys were about the same age I was when the show was first aired. Uh, in fact, the actors, I looked it up this week, a couple of the actors are almost exactly the same age as me. So if you want to feel old, the kids from Home Improvement are now in their 30s. Okay. Um, well, my family, Americans, watched Home Improvement regularly. Uh, but because I was the same age as the kids in the show, I think I watched it differently than my parents did. I didn't primarily identify with the parents in the show. I identified with the kids. I enjoyed the parents. I enjoyed Tim's antics. Uh, but I saw it through the lens of a 10-year-old. What would it have been like to be one of those brothers in that family with that dad? Uh, now, I've noticed something weird since then. As reruns are on and I've seen the show as an adult or other shows with similar premise, I don't identify with the kids in the show anymore. Now that I have kids that are the same age as the kids in the show, I more identify with the dad. I see the whole show in a new light. Uh, Home Improvement is not, as I thought before, a show about some kids with a crazy dad. It's a show about a dad with some crazy kids. <laughs> and as I've grown up and become a parent, it's not that the show has changed, but my perspective on the show has changed. And you know, something similar happens with Scripture, especially the New Testament letters, like the ones we've been studying, uh, 2 Corinthians from, from Paul to the church in Corinth. See, when you're a new Christian, when you're a, a young child in the faith, and you read something like 2 Corinthians, you can't help but read it as a child. You identify with the Corinthians. You see Paul as your spiritual dad imparting wisdom to his children. You see yourself in that role as a child, and you're listening to Paul. What does Paul have to say to me as a child? And then you identify with the kids, because that's where you are in your spiritual journey. You're new, you're young, you need instruction, you need someone older to tell you what to do. And so as you read your Bible, you read it from that perspective as a spiritual kid, identifying with the kids, not with Paul or the other spiritual parents. But something happens as you get older in your faith, and I think it's a good and necessary change. Instead of identifying primarily with the spiritual kids in the story, you start to identify with the spiritual parents. As you get older and more mature in your faith, as you begin taking on that Pauline-type role of investing your life in the lives of others, um, not just receiving teaching, but actively sharing your faith, helping people to grow in their faith, becoming a leader, as you do that, as you start acting like a spiritual parent, you start to read the Bible a little differently. Suddenly you realize the Bible is not just a book about young believers who have spiritual parents, but it's a book about spiritual parents who are trying to help young believers. And that's how I want us to read our passage today, as we get to the end of 2 Corinthians, almost to the end. We're in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, and I want us to see this passage today from the perspective of Paul. And to see, as we look at this from Paul's perspective, what we can learn about the task of being spiritual parents. So open up your Bibles to 2 Corinthians 12. As you'll remember, 2 Corinthians is a letter that's written by Paul to a church that he founded probably five or six years ago. And he's planning on visiting them soon. That's why he's writing this letter, because his last visit was a disaster. It was painful. It was terrible. And so he's writing this letter to prepare them for his next visit so it doesn't turn out as badly. 
And one of the problems he's trying to address in, in anticipation of his visits is that the church has, at least in part, rejected his leadership. Other teachers have come in, and they've been uh, successful and worldly and flashy, and the Corinthian church has fallen for them. But Paul is saying, no, those guys are devils in disguise. They're not preaching the real gospel. They don't really know God. If you want to know God, you don't chase after the mountaintop experiences these guys offer. You find God in the weakness of your own suffering. And so he's reminding them that these new guys, these, these new spiritual teachers have come, are not their spiritual father, but that Paul is, and that he loves them, and that in return, when he comes, they should love him and listen to him as that. So that's what he's confronting in 2 Corinthians 12, starting in verse 11. And so as we read this today, try to see it from Paul's perspective and see what it teaches us about being a spiritual parent. 2 Corinthians 12, 11. I have been a fool. You forced me to it, for I ought to have been commended by you. For I was not at all inferior to these super apostles, even though I am nothing. The signs of a true apostle were performed among you with utmost patience, with signs and wonders and mighty works. For in what were you less favored than the rest of the churches, except that I myself did not burden you? Forgive me this wrong. Here for the third time I am ready to come to you, and I will not be a burden, for I seek not what is yours, but you. For children are not obligated to save up for their parents, but parents for their children. I will most gladly spend and be spent for your souls. If I love you more, am I to be loved less? But granting that I myself did not burden you, I was crafty, you say, and got the better of you by deceit. Did I take advantage of you through any of those whom I sent to you? I urged Titus to go and sent the brother with him. Did Titus take advantage of you? Did we not act in the same spirit? Did we not take the same steps? Have you been thinking all along that we have been defending ourselves to you? It is in the sight of God that we have been speaking in Christ, and all for your upbuilding, beloved. For I fear that perhaps when I come, I may find you not as I wish, and that you may find me not as you wish, that perhaps there may be quarreling, jealousy, anger, hostility, slander, gossip, conceit, and disorder. I fear that when I come again, my God may humble me before you, and I may have to mourn over many of those who sinned earlier and have not repented of the impurity, sexual immorality, and sensuality that they have practiced." All right, we're going to read this from Paul's perspective as a spiritual parent. And before we get too far, I want to define what do I mean by spiritual parenting. So all I mean by that is that spiritual parenting is the act of helping another person to grow in their faith. That's what it is. Helping another person to grow in their faith. We also call it disciple-making. It's another name for it. And that's one of the big things that we're about because that's one of the big things that Jesus was about. Uh, if you look at our, statement, or our, our mission statement, you see that in our bulletin every week, love God, love people, multiply disciples. So that's what we're talking about, this multiplying disciples, spiritual parenting. Just like in normal parenting, in, in physical parenting, when you have biological kids or real kids, you, what are you doing? You're helping your child to grow up into a mature adult. That's what parenting's about. Spiritual parenting, same thing. You're helping a new believer or a young believer grow up into a mature spiritual adult. Well, spiritual parenting, just like physical parenting, begins by having a baby right? Uh, that's when you become a parent, when you have a kid. And in spiritual parenting, that's how it starts too. You know, you share the gospel with somebody. You tell them the simple message of Jesus. You say, you know, you and I are sinners. Jesus Christ lived a perfect life in our place. We deserve to die because of our sin, but he died in our place. And then he rose from the dead victorious over death. 
And if you believe in him and accept that sacrifice, you're forgiven of your sins. You are reconciled to God and you're adopted into his family. That's what happens. You share the gospel with someone. And when they believe, when they are born again, all of a sudden you are a spiritual parent. That's not all spiritual parenting is, though. That's just like physical parenting isn't just about having babies, right? That's just the beginning. Then the hard work begins. Same thing with spiritual parenting. A lot of the work is taking people who are new Christians or younger believers and helping them to grow up in their faith. And this can happen in lots of different ways. That's not the focus of what we're talking about today. But, but things like leading a small group Bible study or having a, a one-on-one Bible reading relationship where you get together regularly and you read the Bible together and you talk about it. Uh, or maybe it's uh, teaching Sunday school or teaching children's church, right? It's, it's helping kids grow up in their faith. Maybe you have uh, an appointment with somebody where you, you meet regularly for coffee or uh, for a meal and you uh, are reading a good Christian book together and you talk about it. Or maybe it's just kind of sharing what's going on in your life Uh, and praying with each other, these are all ways that you can function as a spiritual parent in the life of another person. It's not just something that Paul did. It's not just something that only pastors or paid professional Christians do. It's something that all of us do. That's what it means to multiply disciples in all these different ways, investing in the lives of other people to help them grow in their faith. Okay, now once you understand that, what spiritual parenting is, and the fact that it's something that we all do, Passages like this take on new meaning, because this isn't just Paul saying things uh, to his spiritual kids, but this is Paul modeling for us what spiritual parenting looks like. And as we read it that way, we can see some things that we can apply to our lives in that role. So I've got three for you. Three things that we can learn from this passage about spiritual parenting are that spiritual parenting is not about you, uh, that it is costly, and that it's messy. So let's look at those in order. First, spiritual parenting is not about you. Uh, The first objection that I often hear when I try to talk to people about spiritual parenting and invite somebody to to step out of their comfort zone and actually give this a try is they'll say something like, I can't do that. I can't do that. I'm nobody. I am not qualified. I don't know enough. Uh, You got the wrong guy. I'm nothing special. And if that's how you feel when you hear this idea of trying to be someone's spiritual parent, be encouraged, because that's what Paul said about himself, too. Notice in verse 11, okay, so he starts out, I have been a fool, you forced me to it, for I ought to have been commended by you, for I was not at all inferior to these super apostles, even though I am nothing. Paul says, I am nothing. If you've been paying attention, this should not surprise you, and yet it still is shocking, isn't it? to hear Paul say, I am nothing. How could Paul say he's nothing? Well, you know, he does it all the time. (laughs) He does it all the time. We just finished a couple chapters here in in 2 Corinthians 11 and the beginning of 12 where he talks about his weakness. He talks about how how much suffering he's experienced, how weak he is. He says, I've got this thorn in the flesh that is keeping me from doing the work I want to do. I'm nothing. In chapter 4, he gave the powerful image of a jar of clay. He said, I am a jar of clay of clay, a jar of clay, uh, fragile, disposable, weak, easily broken, nondescript, unimpressive. You might remember in 1 Timothy, Paul also describes himself as the chief of sinners, the worst of sinners. You know who's the worst? Paul. 
is the worst. He's the worst sinner. That's what he says. So if you think being a spiritual parent is something that you're not qualified for, if you hear that, oh, they call you a spiritual parent, and you want to run in the other direction, because you say, I'm nothing, guess what? Paul's nothing too. Paul was nothing too. But that didn't keep him on the bench. That didn't make him run in the other direction. Instead, he realized this truth that spiritual parenting is not about you. It wasn't about him. It's not about you. Yeah, Paul was nothing. He was a jar of clay, but he also says that he was a jar of clay filled with the most unbelievable treasure you can imagine. He had the Holy Spirit. And even though he was weak, and he says, I'm so weak, and I have this thorn in the flesh, and I can't fix it, but he said, you know what? God's power is made perfect in my weakness. Now, we see this in verse 11. It's a, it's a little obscured in the ESV translation, which I use, but a more literal translation brings out this wordplay. So I'm, I'll quote the New English translation. He says, I've become a fool. You yourselves forced me to do it, for I should have been commended by you. For I lack nothing in comparison to those super apostles, even though I am nothing. So here this, this word play says, I lack nothing, even though I am nothing. So on the one hand, I am nothing. I got, I'm, I'm nothing. I'm bringing nothing to the table. But at the same time, I lack nothing. Why? Because I have the power of God. I'm a jar of clay with a tremendous treasure. I am nothing. I lack nothing. And then he goes on in verse 12 to remind them of what God accomplished through him, the guy who's nothing. He says, the signs of a true apostle were performed among you with utmost patience, with signs and wonders and mighty works. So the power of God was at work in Paul. Paul says, I'm nothing, I lack nothing, and you saw it, God worked through me in signs and wonders and miracles. And the greatest miracle being, of course, the miracle of conversion. That those who were spiritually blind, those who were hostile to God, who had no concern for Jesus, heard the gospel, and the Spirit of God worked in their hearts to bring them to faith, and they believed, and they were changed. Paul was nothing, and yet by the Spirit of God, he lacked nothing and accomplished great work of spiritual parenting in their lives. And the same is true for you and for me. We are nothing. I mean, if you think, well, I can't be a spiritual parent. I can't, I can't lead someone to Christ. Of course you can't. I can't either. You can't make somebody believe. I can't make somebody believe. God does that. You're nothing, but you lack nothing. You say, I don't know how to help somebody to grow in their faith. Who am I to help somebody else grow in their faith? I got a lot of problems of my own. <laughs> Paul says, hey, I'm the chief of sinners. I am nothing, but I lack nothing. So you and I, we are jars of clay. I mean, seriously, you know me, right? Who, who am I? Sometimes you think, oh, you're the pastor here. You, of course, you, I'm just a guy. I'm a nerdy former engineer who doesn't like people, right? I got nothing, but I, I lack nothing, and so do you. you know, sometimes trying to convince people to take on spiritual parenting, it reminds me of, of talking with like, young married couples who claim they aren't ready for physical kids yet. And you dig down that a little bit, it seems like one or both of them ends up, like they're afraid. They so say, I don't know how to do this. Maybe they didn't have good models as parents or, or whatever, but they're just afraid. So I don't, I'm not ready to have kids. Newsflash, you're never ready to have kids. None of us were ready to have kids. If you wait until you're ready, you will never have kids. Same thing with spiritual parenting. You say, well, I don't know how to do it. Just you jump right in. You jump right in. You start, you do something, and 
because you're nothing, but you lack nothing, God comes with his grace and he empowers you to do the work. In yourself, you're nothing. But with the Spirit of God, you lack nothing. So you can relax because spiritual parenting is not about you. As we keep reading, we learn more about spiritual parenting. We learn that it is costly. So the Corinthian church had this really weird beef with Paul. They were mad at Paul because he had never asked them for money. So it was weird. Now he had, if you remember, he had asked them for money, but not for himself. He had, he had asked them for, uh, for money for famine relief in Jerusalem, and he was raising money for that. But he had never asked them for money specifically for himself to support his ministry and help him with what he was doing. Uh, and they were angry about that. Uh, he acknowledges that in verse 13. He says, For in what were you less favored than the rest of the churches, except that I myself did not burden you? Okay, so they thought that they're being treated worse than the other churches because he's not asking them for money to support him. And so he says somewhat sarcastically, Forgive me this wrong. So that's the problem. Why did that bother the Corinthians? It probably had to do with pride and control. Whereas what they wanted was a classical patronage relationship uh, where they would be the ones who are the patrons. They have the money, they're offering it to Paul, and Paul is giving to them in return religious goods and services. So in a sense, they would be hiring Paul to work for them. They're the patrons, he's the employee, and there's that power dynamic of them being in charge and him being beneath them. That's probably what they wanted. That's how Roman society worked. Uh, They would like that because they are in control, that they have the power, But that's not what Paul wanted. He didn't want a patronage relationship. He wanted a parenting relationship. That's how he saw it. He didn't want money from them. He didn't want them in charge. He saw himself as a spiritual parent caring for them. And so he said, it's inappropriate for you guys to give me money. That's what he says in verse 14. He says, here for the third time, I'm ready to come to you, and I will not be a burden, for I seek not what is yours. I I seek not your stuff, right? But you. I don't want your stuff. I just want you. For children are not, obliga- not obligated to save up for their parents, but parents for their children. I will most gladly spend and be spent for your souls. I will most gladly spend. So we say, I'll spend my money and I will be spent. I will give of myself for you. That's what spiritual parenting looks like. Not patronage, not where you're hired by somebody to be their life coach or something like that. But it looks like parenting. It looks like you, the parents, sacrificing for the kid. In ordinary life, you know, when your Silco bill comes, you don't go ask your kid to break their piggy bank and rustle up whatever change they can to help you pay for it. In ordinary life, parents pay for the kids. They don't expect the kids to pay for the parents. Parents aren't looking to get things out of kids. They're looking to sacrifice for their kids. And to do that is inherently costly. It's costly. It's expensive to be a parent. Every so often, maybe even every year, someone comes out with a headline of how much it costs to raise kids now. Uh, The latest one I saw from CNN was in the order of $250,000 per kid. A quarter of a million dollars to raise a kid. Costs so much to raise kids. And it is costly to raise a physical child. But it's also costly to raise a spiritual child. And Paul's not complaining about that. He's not begrudging that. He's just saying this is how it works. If you're a spiritual parent, that's part of the gig. What you're signing up for is to spend and to be spent for the sake of your spiritual children. It costs you money. It costs you time. It costs you emotional energy. Just unpack those a little bit. 
First, it costs money. Paul acknowledges that. He says, I'm about to make my third trip to you. So verse 14, for the third time, I'm ready to come to you. All at his own expense, mind you. As their spiritual parent, he knows he needs to FaceTime. He needs to be with them. But, but travel then, more so even than now, travel is not cheap. And so he's going to have to spend money to get there, to be with them. He's going to spend money on food and clothing and shelter, and he's not taking any from them. So this has all come out of his pocket. Not to mention the money he's giving up by not staying home and working in his tent-making business and, and saving up some money for himself. So he's doing that. He's doing that just because he wants to be with his spiritual kids. It's costing him money. And it does cost you money to be a spiritual parent today. So, for example, if your spiritual kids or some of your spiritual kids are the literal kids of this church, like if you're serving in Sunday school or in children's church, right, we try to make sure that there are uh, resources for you to use, that we try to keep a stocked craft closet and all this sort of thing so you can do that, but probably you are spending money that I don't know about to prepare lessons that are good for the kids because that's what teachers do, right? That's what teachers do. So it's going to cost you money. Or if you and your spiritual child have an arrangement where you meet regularly over coffee or meals to connect and talk, uh, those bills for coffee and meals are going to add up. Or if you're driving to see him, you're paying for the gas. If you're investing in a young kid and, and, and you take uh, special care in them and you're, you're pouring your life into them and you realize it would really be beneficial for this person to go to a camp or some conference or on this missions trip, you're going to pay for that. You're going to help with that. Or if you and your spouse decide that you're going to kind of disciple this young married couple and you realize, I think they'd really benefit from this marriage weekend, you'll pay for that. You'll, you'll help them with that. That's what you do. There's all sorts of ways that being a spiritual parent can cost you money, and, and you do it gladly. You'd never, ask, never imagine they would have to pay you back for this. You know, sit down there in children's church. All right, kids, that'll be a nickel for every piece of construction paper. No, no. You give it willingly, but it does cost. It also costs time. I think more than money, that's the biggest hurdle for people. We're all so busy, right? I'd love to be a spiritual parent. I just have no time in my life for it. Well, Paul was willing to invest significant amounts of time in his spiritual kids. We have a good chunk in the New Testament today because he was willing to take the time to write thoughtful letters responding to issues that were happening in their lives. He was willing to travel three times to Corinth to deal with this problem congregation. That's a big commitment. And it will cost you time to invest in the life of another person. Uh, if you're going to have regular appointments with somebody, and you need to, if you're going to be a spiritual parent, you've got to spend time with the person. You can't do this once every quarter. You're going to be together weekly or bi-weekly. If you're leading a Bible study or teaching a class, you're going to spend time in preparation if you're mentoring someone and you really give them access to your life, you're going to get emails, you're going to get phone calls or texts at times when they're not convenient for you, and you're going to take some time to respond to those things. And above all, you're going to be spending time in prayer. You might have noticed all of Paul's letters start with him talking about how I am constantly praying to God for you. It takes time. And it takes emotional energy to do this too. We saw that Three weeks ago, when we talked about how being a disciple of Jesus is the toughest job you'll ever love. In, in uh, chapter 11, verse 28, Paul says this about his sufferings. He says, apart from other things, there's the daily pressure on me of my anxiety for all the churches. It's part of the burden. The more people you care about, the more their problems become yours. 
And sometimes that becomes a source of angst. You can really feel that in our passage today. As Paul gets very emotional, he seems to be saying, I have done all of this for you, and that's the thanks I get. You accuse me of cheating you. You're sad that I didn't ask you for money. I mean, you just feel how his heart has gone out to these people and is being trampled on by them. Just like physical parenting, sometimes spiritual parenting takes an emotional toll. It's costly. And the key question is, is it so costly that we shouldn't do it? Or maybe leave it to the trained professionals? Well, think back on the cost of having physical kids. You see those headlines and they say, it costs $250,000 to have a kid. Have any of you found that persuasive? Oh, that's too expensive. I can't possibly have kids. No. Even if it is a quarter of a million dollars for each of my kids, I'm coming out ahead. Right? Because they're priceless. Parenting is priceless. It is joy. It's costly, but it's, a, it's joy. It's worth it. And that's true of spiritual parenting too. Yes, it will cost you. Yes, it will be. But it's, the tough things are the good things in life. Everything worthwhile costs. So remember that, that spiritual parenting is costly. It's not about you. You can do it, and it's costly. And then third, I just want you to see that spiritual parenting is also messy. It's messy. I was introduced to the idea of disciple-making or spiritual parenting in college, and when I first heard the idea, I was naive, and I thought it was a simple, linear process, kind of like school. Put your kid in kindergarten, and then next year they go to first grade, and then second grade, and third grade, and fourth grade, and then they graduate, and it's done. Bing! Process over. It's not how it works. Spiritual parenting is not uh, step by step by step. It's more like two steps forward, one step back, five steps forward, three steps back, two steps forward, eight steps back. It's not linear. It's messy. Sometimes when you're discipling somebody and you're investing in them, uh, you know, they make a major breakthrough. It seems like just real progress, and then they drop off the radar for six months. And you don't hear them. They don't respond to your text. You can't call them. Just, they're not anywhere. Sometimes uh, they're growing and doing great, and then they don't just backslide. They jump into sin with both feet. That's real life. That's real spiritual parenting. It's messy. And Paul's children are a hot mess. He's coming to visit them, in part because they are so messy. Uh, look at verses 20 and 21. He says, I fear that perhaps when I come, I may find you not as I wish, and that you may find me not as you wish, that perhaps there may be quarreling, jealousy, anger, hostility, slander, gossip, conceit, disorder. I fear that when I come again, my God may humble me before you, and I may have to mourn over many of those who have sinned earlier and have not repented of the impurity, sexual immorality, and sensuality that they practiced. These guys are messy. Sexual immorality, divisions, jealousy, gossip, slander. It's important to recognize this because if you're not prepared for this, when you start spiritual parenting, the first time there's trouble, you'll give up. Because you say, oh, I knew I couldn't do this. I told you I'm, I'm not equipped. If I were better at this, they would be doing better. This, this failure in my child is evidence that I'm a terrible parent. But remember, these kids here, these terrible spiritual kids, the Corinthians, they're Paul's children. 
Paul's a great teacher, he's a great spiritual parent, and he has a church that is full of disobedient, struggling, sinful spiritual children. And it breaks his heart, and he's working on it, trying to help them, but it doesn't mean that he's doing it wrong, as if he just followed the right formula that everything would be fine. What it tells us is that spiritual parenting is messy. It's just messy. I mean, I hope you're encouraged by that. If you're anything like me, um, maybe you tried this. And for me, you know, some of my, especially some of my early attempts at spiritual parenting felt like colossal failures. What have I done wrong? And I probably did do some things wrong. Okay, but remember, it's the nature of spiritual parenting to be messy. That when God works in someone's life, he rarely works in straight lines, A to B to C. It's messy. So don't give up. Don't give up when you encounter that. Just recognize this is what happens. This is what it's like. Sometimes you've got to call people out on their sin. Sometimes you've got to help them get through the mess. But be encouraged also because some kids are less messy than others. And that's a good thing. The Corinthians were clearly Paul's problem children. There's other churches like the Thessalonians and the Philippians. You read those letters and it just feels like, oh, you guys are so wonderful. I mean, 1 Thessalonians even says, I don't have to tell you guys to love people because you're just doing it. You know, so so there's, there's better situations than others. And, and I've been blessed as well, sometimes having some amazing, amazing spiritual kids. People for whom I've had to do very little, and they've just grown. They're coming to me with questions. They're coming to me with things that they're reading. They're, they're, I mean, just, they're growing like crazy. And that's a delight. And if you do this long enough, you'll have kids like that too. But you'll also have problem children. And that's okay, because sometimes spiritual parenting is messy. But it's worth it. And more to the point, God has commanded us to do it. So, how do we start? Well, I want to propose to you uh, again uh, the, the men's and women's groups that we are starting up this fall. Um, you know, we do this from time to time. We did this a while ago with LTGs. Uh, now we're, we're doing these men's and women's small groups. You know, you're, you're nev- the simple fact is you are never going to have a deep spiritual parenting relationship, either on the receiving end or the giving end. You'll never have a relationship like that if you don't start with surface relationships, right? So you don't just walk up to somebody and say, will you be my spiritual mommy, right? Or would you like to be my spiritual child, right? It's just weird, Okay. It grows out of natural relationships. So you have to know people a little bit. You have to even move beyond just seeing people on a Sunday morning. You've got to interact with one another and begin to see you know, where people are and, and, and how you connect. And, and you have to do that so that you can grow into those deeper relationships. So that's partly what these groups are for. Yes, they're, they're, they exist for us to um, have places of encouragement and to grow in our faith and, and, and throughout the week to do that. But they also exist as connection points where we can get to know each other more, and these more disciple-making, spiritual parenting relationships can grow out of them. So if you're interested in being a spiritual parent, and maybe I should just say that, if you're interested in being obedient to Jesus, or if you're a younger Christian looking for a mentor, then as your schedule allows, please come to those groups or do something to get connected, to get to know each other more, and then make an offer. Say, would you like to have coffee? Would you like to read the Bible together with me? Would you like to talk and pray? Would you like to read this book? 
And as you do that, you'll see what God does. Because you might not feel up to the task, but you're, you're nothing. I'm nothing. But you lack nothing. With the Holy Spirit, you lack nothing. So, get off the bench, quit dragging your feet, and join us in the task of spiritual parenting. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the many, many spiritual parents I've had and continue to have in my life. Thank you for the opportunities you've given me to be one of those people for others. Uh, thank you for the way you, you made the church, that we do have that ability and that calling to, to encourage one another, strengthen one another, help one another. Even if sometimes the, the relationship can flip and those that I've been helping can help me or, and, and vice versa. So Lord, would you please work in us to continue this work. Um, it's not like we haven't been doing it at all, but we want to get better at it. We want to invest. We want, uh, you know, there's, there's people out there that need to be born again. And they're going to need parents. And so we pray that you would mobilize us both to share our faith and to help those who believe to grow. In Jesus' name, amen.